Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 14 of the podcast, and today we're talking about episode 4 of Star Trek Picard, Absolute Candor. So I finally read the third and final edition of the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic book. Originally, I expected this story to explain why Picard left Starfleet. Something the show has already done a good job of explaining. Instead, it gives us some insight into the adventures Picard experienced while trying to help the Romulans. It also explains the backstory of Laris and Zaban, and why they are with Picard at his chateau. I would highly recommend people read the comic. Without it, I would have found characters like Rafi, Laris and Zaban a bit jarring. Who are these people? It's available on Kindle and Comixology. I've also started reading the first Star Trek Picard novel, The Last Best Hope. The blurb doesn't tell you anything about the plot of the book. But so far, it seems to be showing us the very beginning of the rescue efforts from the moment Picard first learned of the supernova. And I finally started playing Star Trek Online during the last week. I created a character years ago, but never really got into it. Anyway, I've been quite enjoying it. There's such a vast library of stories to interact with after 10 years. But that's enough of my general Star Trek geekdom. We have an episode to discuss. The description for Absolute Candor, according to Memory Alpha, reads... The crew's journey to Freecloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Muska relocated Romulan refugees 14 years ago. Upon arrival, Picard reunites with Elnor, a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile, Narek continues his attempts to learn more about Soji, while Rizzo's impatience with his lack of progress grows. This episode was written by Michael Shabon and was directed by Jonathan Frakes. It first aired on the 13th of February, 2020. Make it so. I can already hear people complaining about the pace of this show. We were supposed to be going to Free Cloud, and now we're spending an entire episode on a detour. Picard has done nothing but recruit new people to help him on this mission for several episodes. Technically, this is true, of course. But I'm enjoying the pace of this show. Is an adventure on Vashti really any less desirable than an adventure on Freecloud? Yes, this show is slow-paced, but with every step, it's doing a whole lot of stuff with character, and I'm loving it. This episode starts with another flashback to 14 years ago. I think this is a structure we should get used to. Picard is in the midst of his rescue mission. He's been helping Romulan refugees settle on a planet called Vashti. We see some Romulans with heavier ridges, making them look pretty much like TNG Romulans. So that was nice. We follow a young boy through the streets. I'm loving the details in this location. This show really does feel like a movie. And Picard beams down, dressed like John Hammond from Jurassic Park. (laughs) Perhaps he's wanting to put the Romulans at ease by not parading around in Starfleet uniform. But I think the main reason is Patrick Stewart wanted to avoid wearing a uniform except when absolutely necessary. Dunno. Picard is well loved on this planet, especially by this little boy Elnor. The two have a very special bond. It's quite heartwarming to watch. 
It's a shame Picard spent so much of his life afraid of children, because he's actually very good with them now. He would have made a fantastic grandparent. But as it is, he makes a wonderful spare grandparent, and honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. This type of relationship is important, and is not to be undervalued. So Picard is working with the Coat Milat, Romulan warrior nuns. The show is giving us a positive sympathetic exploration of religion, which apart from Deep Space Nine, has been pretty rare in Star Trek, so I'm really liking that. These sisters are raising Elnor, but all agree it's not the best place for him to grow up. Picard is determined to find him a more suitable home. We learn about two of their tenants in this episode. I'll talk about one of them later, but the sister says, a promise is a prison, do not make yourself another's jailer. This is a thought-provoking quote. I think in our society, we can take promises a bit flippantly sometimes, until of course a promise that is owed to us is not fulfilled. A promise is something that should be entered into in a very considered way. It's better not to make a promise than to make one you won't be able to fulfill. So in the same way, expecting somebody to make you a promise, pressuring them into making one, when they haven't given it that due consideration, could be thought of as a bad thing. Basically, Zanny is counselling Elnor against pressuring Picard into making a promise he may not be able to keep. I think that's interesting. I think to Picard, this relationship with Elnor is helping to fill that hole in his heart left behind by his nephew René, a boy he was starting to bond with before he was cruelly taken away by a fire. It's at this moment when Picard first learns of the synth attack on Mars. It's a shame they couldn't have put Jerry Ryan's name in the ending credits of this episode rather than the start, so as not to spoil her appearance right at the end. I spent the whole episode waiting for her to appear. My wife said, I bet she'll show up right at the end. Poor Agnes is bored. Surely she can find something to do. You've got a holodeck on board. We'll see that shortly. Maybe she should have brought some entertainment of her own. I know I would have. I don't know, I guess I'm so used to my kids saying, I'm bored. It's like, I was never bored as a kid. You've got so much more than I had. And I had so much more than my parents. <laughs> the book Rios is reading is a real book. He says it's about the existential pain of living with the consciousness of death and how it defines us as humans. <laughs> Sounds like a cheery read. I'm sure this is going to be very telling of his character. The emergency hospitality hologram pronounces Zuban really strangely. I don't know where he gets the ch sound from. Those letters are nowhere in the name. Anyway, Picard wants to make a stop at Vashti, that same planet we saw in the teaser 14 years ago. We learn, as is logical, that the Quiros system, where Vashti is located, is now a dodgy place. There's a big power vacuum since the fall of the Romulan Empire. The whole place is run by a gangster with a hundred-year-old bird of prey. We get a name drop of the Romulan rebirth movement, but no explanation of exactly what that is. And this is where we learn the other tenant of the Coat Milat, although we've already seen it demonstrated. Absolute candor. Total communication of emotion without any filter between thought and word. On one hand, 
This type of open honesty could be refreshing. You always know where you stand with someone. They don't mince their words or hide things from you. A lot of problems in life are caused by people not being honest with one another. On the other hand, I believe our words should be carefully considered and filtered by thought. You know the old saying, think before you speak? A lot of problems in life are also caused by speaking rashly without thinking first. Picard has a good practical reason for making this detour. The assistance of the Coat Malat could be invaluable on this mission. But really, he's been driven by guilt. As Rafi puts it, the death of Daj has you thinking of Elnor, the boy you promised to help, but couldn't. When Starfleet called off the rescue mission, Picard was never able to return. As he says, I may never pass this way again. If he ever wants to make things up to the sisters and Elnor, this is the time. Back on the Borg cube, we get a little more insight into what Ramda was saying last week. It seems that she believes that Soji is part of Romulan religion. She is the prophesied destroyer. The Juk Vash also believes Soji is the destroyer, but possibly for more practical reasons related to her being synthetic. I don't know. It's all a bit mysterious right now. This show is raising a lot of mysteries. What happened to Rios when he was in Starfleet? What's Raffi's deal with Free Cloud? Picard even withholds the criteria used by the Coat Malat for no reason other than to reveal it at the end of the episode. But the most compelling mysteries on this show to me are those being explored by Soji. The stuff about Ramda, the assimilation of her ship that somehow killed the cube, and how it all fits into Romulan mythology. Soji felt drawn to Ramda, no doubt some programming built into her. She wants to know Narek's deal, why he has such unrestricted access to the Borg ship. He of course is not forthcoming. The one thing he's been open and honest with her about from the start is that he has secrets and he won't reveal them. The scene where Narek and Soji slide down the corridor would feel extremely romantic except that we know Narek is evil and he's using her. It's funny, TV shows often go straight to sex to show the intimacy between characters. But I felt the intimacy between these characters so much more in this scene than I did when we saw them in bed together. It's something about the way Isa Brion's acts with her face. She really gets across the attraction she's feeling. The scene brought back memories of the feelings I had when my wife and I were first in love, just doing fun things together. But Narek kind of drops the act when he outright accuses her of lying about being on the ship that brought her here. It's clear that her past is fabricated, and he's laying seeds of doubt in her, making her question her own past. Despite being a ragtag crew of misfits on an old civilian ship, this episode is feeling very Star Trek-y. Which I guess just goes to show that you don't actually need the uniforms to make it feel like Star Trek. I enjoyed all of the time we spent on Earth, but Mana feels good to be on a spaceship beaming down to alien planets at last. We see a symbol on the shoulders of several Romulans, no doubt the Romulan rebirth movement, whatever that is. Vashti sure isn't what it used to be. There's a sense of hopelessness hovering over the settlement and none of them are happy to see Picard. 
a stark contrast to the last time he beamed down here. I like that they adopted Jolan Chu into the Romulan language, which is a greeting we first heard in the TNG episode Unification. Anyway, everyone on Vashti is angry about Picard's present, and the gangster, Ka Kantar, is on his way. I'll admit that Vashti feels a little Star Wars, but it's logical that a frontier world like this would feel like Star Wars because so much of Star Wars is set on worlds like this. And it makes sense for the setting. This is well outside of Federation space, and we've already established that there's a power vacuum. And then we see Elnor, now all grown up. Elnor is played by Australian actor Evan Evagora. He's fairly new to acting, but appears in the new movie Fantasy Island. I love that they let him use his native Aussie accent in the show. And why not? We have an Irish Romulan in Laris, a British Romulan in Narek. Why should all aliens have to sound American? This episode is forcing Picard to face his past failures. Zanny says, because you could not save everyone, you chose to save no one. I allowed the perfect to become the enemy of the good, he says. We talked about this last week too, but Picard almost made the same mistake as Starfleet. He failed to convince them to resume their rescue efforts. They'd given up. So he gave up. He did. He could have jumped in a private ship and flown to Vashti. He could have helped Elnor. He could have continued helping people one at a time. One man couldn't do much to save an entire race. But he could have helped individuals one at a time. That's what Raffi was trying to tell him 14 years ago. But in his mind, offering his resignation was his last-ditch effort. When that failed, he felt there was nothing left he could do. So he retired to his vineyard. I think now he's regretting that decision. He's wishing he'd gone out on his own and tried to save those individuals. It's like the story of the starfish. Have you heard that one? The man walking on the beach strewn with starfish. He sees a boy frantically throwing the starfish back in the water. Help me, he begs. I've been walking this beach for ages. There are hundreds of starfish back that way. You'll never help enough of them to make a difference, he says. The boy picks up a starfish and throws it in the water. It made a difference to that one, he says. That's the kind of difference Picard could have still made. If only he could go back and make a different decision. Once again, I'm loving how Picard is still the good man of great conscience that he has always been, but at the same time, the show allows him to be flawed, to be human. Elnor has all the training of the Coat Malat. He is, in every way that matters, one of them, except that, as a male, he can never really be a member, because their order is a sisterhood. He's the perfect one to join Picard's quest. It would be mutually beneficial. Except for one thing. Elnor is filled with bitterness and resentment that Picard never came back for him. The Romulant only sign reminds me of racial segregation that's occurred in a number of places in the past. But it's a very different context here. We get a sense from the former senator's speech about how it felt from a Romulan perspective to have to rely on Federation aid. It would have been humiliating. The Romulans are a very proud people. They didn't even want to admit to the Federation that their world was dying. 
and some among them actively tried to prevent or interfere with Federation aid. They wanted to save themselves. But the worst of it all was that at a time when they were the most vulnerable, they put their trust in Picard, only to have him fail them. In their minds, he may have made things worse for them. This is really interesting stuff. It digs deep into what could have been a very shallow story idea. But the show looks at how people really felt, how different cultures affected what it all meant. It's great stuff. So the senator wants to fight Picard with swords. Good thing Picard is a fencer. But he's not as young as he was. He's not getting drawn into this. So Elnor comes to his rescue. I love how he says, Please, my friend, choose to live. He doesn't want to have to kill this Romulan. He's kind of begging, Please don't make me kill you. The senator chooses badly, so Elnor chops off his head. I regret your choice. There's something that we have to talk about. Elnor is basically a warrior elf. You might argue he belongs in Lord of the Rings more than he does in Star Trek. I heard a criticism of the Picard trailer a few months back, before the show even came on. It's the age-old problem that no matter how good you are with a sword, that's not much help in a world of guns. I mean, Indiana Jones showed us that rather humorously. But I love that the episode actually calls itself out on that. Twice, actually. The Romulan says, your sword is no match for a disruptor. And they have to beam out urgently. (laughs) And then Raffi calls him a boy with a stick. That second one got a good chuckle out of me. I think now that we understand where the character has come from, we have a good reason for his elvish appearance. So what good really is Elnor going to be when they're up against enemies armed with disruptors? Think of it this way. Warrior traditions in science fiction often value traditional hand-to-hand combat skills with weapons like swords especially those with a religious connotation. But that doesn't mean it's the only skills they teach. Look at the Anla Shock in Babylon 5. They learn to fight hand-to-hand with pikes, but that's not their only skill. They're also fighter pilots in space. I'll be interested to see how they use Elnor in future episodes. Right now, I'm totally open to it. Anyway, Picard finally tells Agnes the criteria for worthiness used by the Kowat Melat. They will only bind their sword to a lost cause. So it wasn't just me. Everyone is talking about how creepy the apparent incestuous overtones of Narek and Rizzo's relationship are. What on earth is their deal? I actually don't think they are biological siblings. I think perhaps members of the Jakvash refer to each other as brother and sister. It's just a theory. Rizzo and Narek have different approaches to Soji. Rizzo is worried that Narek is developing feelings, even sympathies for Soji. And there may be some truth to that. And then we get a good old space battle with an old school TOS Romulan warbird. Very cool. This thing wouldn't threaten the Enterprise, but it packs enough of a punch to endanger Rios' ship. It's nice that they don't get out of this fight with Technobabble like Voyager would have. And we meet yet another hologram, the Emergency Tactical Hologram. Is this starting to get a little too much? I didn't think so last week, as some did, but now I'm starting to wonder. This hologram is like a drunk old version of Rios who looks 
kind of like Aquaman. Seriously, with that long hair, he looks a lot like Jason Momoa. But it's not very good at its job. It's kind of too lazy to fire the weapons. Not sure this quite worked as intended. I'm noticing something on this show. We've heard the ship's computer speak, and we've heard the crew speak to it, but not once has a person actually addressed it as computer. I find I'm missing that. I want to hear Picard say, computer, before giving it a command. We haven't really heard that since Voyager. They didn't have a talking computer on Enterprise, and I don't think I've heard it much on Discovery either. I like the awkwardness that still exists between Picard and Rios. Picard is in charge of the mission, but this is Rios's ship. I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually. And then Seven of Nine comes to the rescue. We don't know it's her until she beams aboard, except that of course we know it's her. She was in the credits, and we haven't seen her yet. They try weakly to conceal it, having the pilot respond in text rather than voice, and constantly referring to he and him, but we all know it's Seven. Picard and Seven have never met on screen before, but of course they recognise each other on sight. I mean, he's Jean-Luc Picard, and she's Seven of Nine. We can't really talk about this yet because there's nothing really to talk about. We see her for a few seconds. Her one line, you owe me a ship, Picard, is somewhat amusing. But then the episode ends. Let's just say I'm excited to see Seven in the show next week, and I'm sure I'll have lots to say. So another very enjoyable episode. Until now, I've been enjoying the show, but the first three were so connected that it wasn't the kind of show where you could say I especially enjoyed this particular episode. This is the first one that you can really kind of pull out on its own and say, that was a good episode. Which is fine, that's the nature of serialised TV and I'm okay with that. But yes, tonight was a very Star Trek kind of show, and I had fun with it. Can't wait for next week. Don't forget to check out my writing. If you'd like to sample it for free, you can get the prequel story that sets up the premise of my Jewel of the Star series by joining my email list at adamdavidcollings.com slash free. You can't get that story anywhere else. Or you can read the first book free on Wattpad. I post a new chapter every week. I'll catch you next week when we discuss episode 5 of Picard, Stardust City Rag. That's an interesting title. See you then. Live long and prosper. Make it so.